Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. We're glad you're journeying with us, and we hope that you find value from the teachings. If you'd like to connect or support the mission of Grace and Peace Church, check us out at graceandpeacechurch.org or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Grace and Peace. All right, so we are in a series where we're calling this Walk With Me, and we're walking with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. Mark is... Uh, one of the disciples is written um, to captivate our attention into what it means to follow Jesus, what it looks like to look at the life of Jesus, how he interacted with people. And so Mark wrote it down, and we're studying through it. We're watching how he, um, how he basically pulled together the events of Jesus' life in order for us to learn from it. And so what we're doing is we're reading through it kind of thought by thought. And so we're in Mark chapter 11, and we're going to talk about a fig tree. And I titled this one, The Tenzing Way. Does anybody know who Tenzing Norge is? Awesome. I love it. Cool. You're going to learn about him. Uh, but we're not going to learn about him until the end of the message. So it's going to be a little while. Um, first, let's dig in. Let's read the passage. Um, I threw it up on the screen so you guys will have it. And um, there's actually three passages that seem separate, but are actually connected, that we're going to read through here. And it starts out chapter 11 of Mark, verse 12. First thing he does is he curses a fig tree, okay? So some stuff that we're going to read might not make sense. You might be like scratching your head going, why is he doing this? But we'll unpack it. We'll, we'll give it some time, okay? So um, verse 12, on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if, it could find, if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, but it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it, and they must have been scratching their heads going like, what is he doing with this tree and why is he cursing it? So it goes on in verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. Another little interesting nugget there. And when, ev- when evening came, they went out of the city. And here's where it goes on. He explains the fig tree, the, the disciples kind of question, and they're like, what's going on here? As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and you, it will be yours. And whenever you, whenever you stand praying, forgive 
If you have nothing against, uh, sorry, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive your tres- you your trespasses. So we got three kind of movements that happen here. He curses a fig tree. Then he goes into the temple, cleanses it, goes in, and he's angry about what's happening, which we'll talk about. And then at the end, he explains the fig tree and talks about some forgiveness, that forgiveness is connected to this faith that we have. So the fig tree, first thing, that shows up in the Old Testament. This is a connection to um, representing the nation of Israel, God's people. Um, Israel, all throughout Scripture, is meant to be a reflection of God's heart, God's people. They're meant to reflect to the world the blessing, which we talked about last week, which I threw that video again if you want to watch it. Um, They're meant to live out the blessing, the fruitfulness, the life of what God invites us into. And so they're meant to reflect that. And in verse 17, Jesus says, isn't this supposed to be a house of prayer? Aren't you supposed to reflect this kind of blessing, this life? And it says, a house, uh, uh, this is meant to be a house of prayer for a select in- group of indiv- uh, a few individuals who think they have it all together. What's wrong with that phrase? No. If you look at your notes, if you look at scripture, if you look at what it says, It says something very unique, something very special, something very core to Jesus' heart. My house should be called a house of prayer for all the nations, right? Not just God's people, not just Israel, not just chief priests, not just those who have the scrolls and know how to teach it, or those who give their continual offering at the temple. He's like, it's meant to be for what? all nations. And that is the heart of Jesus. And that is the heart of what he calls us as the church to be too. That it's meant to be a place for all nations, all people. And so he curses this tree because he sees that this is a reflection of what the temple has become, right? So Mark sandwiches this story of going in, wrecking the temple because the temple In the temple, they'd lost the purpose of what the temple was for. He says the temple was meant to be doing what? Prayer. And instead, he says, you've made it about something completely different. You've made it about business. And so he comes in here and takes this tree and says, you're cursed. Basically, there will never, never be fruit from it. So we talked about the fig tree existing in the Old Testament representing Israel. Now, the fruit has another element to this. So the fruit is always meant to be how we live, right? So the fruit of someone's life is like, if you live beautifully, interactively with someone else, like you're kind to them, that's the fruit of your life. And the fruit of Israel didn't exist at that time, right? That's why he's turning over the tables. He's like, you are no longer fruitful. And how many of you guys like fruit? Who's into fruit? Okay, I love fruit. I'm a huge fan of mangoes. Many of you guys know that. Um, It's mango season, so I'm a fan. Um, But fruit is meant to nourish, right? It's meant to be good. It's meant to be life-giving. And that was the purpose of God's people. It was meant to be what we talked about last week, which I, I, I hate to just keep going back to it, but it's meant to be a blessing, right? When you eat fruit, it's a blessing. It's good. That's what the church was meant to be. 
That's what the community of God was meant to be, was meant to be fruit. It was meant to be a blessing. It was meant to be good. And what he does, what Jesus does in going and turning over the tables, he says, you're no longer fruitful. What you've done is you've taken advantage of the church, the temple. You've basically made it about you resourcing yourself and making money off of it. Because what would happen is people would show up, they'd travel from all around to go and bring their offering to that temple. And if they didn't have the right coin, they would have to exchange it. So there's money changers there that would change out your coins so that your offering would be in the right coinage, right? Like, we're not taking dollars. We take pesos and that's it, right? So like, they were just like, they would take advantage of all these people coming in. And then if people brought in like a sheep, cow, whatever, that wasn't perfect, that has a blemish, that wasn't the right kind of offering, then they could go buy them there. And so they were taking advantage of the religious kind of institution at that time or the the way it was set up. And what Jesus does, he goes in there, he's like, you've made this about you. You've made this a den of robbers. You've made this about you benefiting off of God rather than you being a blessing to others as a result of your walk with God. And so you can kind of see the frustration that Jesus has there, right? You can see the frustration where he's just like, this is why he's turning over tables because he's like, you've made this thing about God something that it's not meant to be. You've distorted it. You've completely ruined it. And you no longer bear fruit. And so when he curses the fig tree, it's, it's symbolic of the church not bearing fruit anymore. This idea of fruit is all throughout the Old Testament. And if you read the Psalms, Psalm 1, it starts out in the very beginning. I want to show you guys this one because I believe it captures what Jesus does here with the fruit or the figs, the lack of fruit in this illustration of the tree. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or set foot on the path of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night, completely centered around God. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and who prospers in all he does, or she, however you want to put that. It's talking about a person. There's a prospering, a fruitfulness that happens when we abide in God, and that theme would have been understood by the disciples, would have been understood by onlookers. When Jesus curses that fig tree because it's not bearing fruit. It was symbolic of the church not bearing fruit, of God's people not bearing fruit. And so there's a weightiness to this. There's a heaviness to it, I understand. But I think it's a beautiful challenge that we have. Um, so I want to I continue and unpack it a little bit more, and then we'll kind of look at some ways to begin to, I think, live into this. Jeremiah 7 talks about how the temple was to be treated what was meant to take place within the temple. And so it says, Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, which is like a, another god during that time, um, and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, talking about the temple, which bears my name, and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. So this is what Jesus is, I think, 
reflecting back to. So this, this would have been familiar to those people, right? And you see why the leaders during that time were really offended, right? Because this would have been something that happened throughout history prior to this, that God's people had strayed from the purpose of loving the community, of being wrapped up and being a blessing to the world, and they made it about themselves. What Jesus does is he, he points right at the thing that they know is most important, and it gets really frustrating for them, right? The response that they had, the chief priests and the scribes heard this, and they were seeking a way to destroy him. That's how angry they were at what Jesus was doing. They wanted to destroy him because they knew that what they had done, the religious like institution that they had created, was built around them and their own comforts and their own ways and their own desires. It wasn't about generosity anymore. It wasn't about blessing. They'd lost focus. And so check this out. Um, in Jeremiah, it talks about, do you think you're safe in this place because of what you're doing? Do you think like what you're doing is okay? And I know this is a challenge. Like this is like where I start to squirm and I go, am I okay? Like, am I okay in God's eyes? But there's a beautiful thing that happens. And I, and I want to point out, church should always be a safe place for anybody of any background anywhere, right? This should be the place where you are most welcome, most included. But there is an element to what Jeremiah spoke, what Jesus did in turning over the tables, there's an element of accountability. There's an element of, I'm not going to leave you that way. Like, what you're doing and the thing that you've been a part of, which we talked about last week, is actually destroying you, right? We talked about blessing and destruction. And what Jesus does is he's like, you've no longer made it about blessing. You've no longer made the temple, the church about blessing. You've made it about destruction. You're destroying people's lives. You're taking advantage of them. And so when we think of the church and we think about like what Jesus is doing here, what he's really doing is saying, let's make this place a place of healing again. Let's make this place a place of blessing. It should be a place of generosity. It should be a place where people step in and go, that's beautiful. That's good. That's life-giving. That's the way it's meant to be. But there has to be a turning over of the tables. And this is the part where we all squirm. This is the part where we all go, oh, this is what I don't want to hear from God, that he's like, what you're doing has to shift. There has to be a transformation, right? And this is the part that no pastor wants to talk about or none of us want to deal with, right? Where it's like, just come as you are, and it's like, just stay that way and do whatever you're doing, and just like, Jesus is good, and just be happy and content. But Jesus is like, no, the thing that you're doing actually is destroying you. And... And what he's doing is he's saying, I want to turn over the tables in parts of your life so that you can experience flourishing. I want to turn over those tables because that actually is taking advantage of people. Like what you're doing is ripping people off to get some doves, right? You're ripping people off so that they can give their offering or change their money into whatever form you want it to be in. And the modern version of that is going to look different for all of us, right? Like I have things that I struggle with that you probably don't struggle with. Or maybe we have a lot of the same. I don't know. But there are things, I think, in our lives that Jesus wants to turn over and say, like, let's, let's stop doing that. It's not good. And I know that that, again, so it's hard to hear, but what I hope we hear is that in the turning of the tables, it's good. In the, 
in that transition, that transformation part that he's calling us to, inviting us into, is life, right? There's parts of my life that I don't want Jesus to turn the tables over on because selfishly I want to keep doing those things, right? It's a lot easier sometimes. Um, the areas where he's like, you, you got to change that. It's not healthy for you. It's not good. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to keep hitting my head against the wall. You know, like I know it's not good for me, but I keep doing them. And, and it, like the illustration that we were talking about and when we we're having our sermon prep as we we're wrestling through these passages, um, I think Matt brought it up, is like talking about like a doctor. And this is kind of the best thing, example I can think of is that like if a doctor just ignored underlying issues in your life when you went to him, um, would you go back to that doctor? Like, if the doctor knew, like, if he, if he was like, hey, what's your typical, like, weekly intake? And you're like, like, 12 packs of cigarettes a day, like, unlimited alcohol and uh, whatever other self-destructive habit I can think of. Like, maybe, like, donuts, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, okay? Nothing wrong with donuts, but breakfast, lunch, and dinner, we all agree, is not healthy, right? Um, and he was just like, oh, yeah, that's fine, and just ignored it and was like, that's totally cool. Would you think that there was something wrong with that? Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, yeah, I like the donuts personally. I'll take that. The other thing's not so much, but um, pick your thing. But like, if you're ignoring those things that definitely cause destruction to your life, we have to acknowledge them. And a good doctor will tell you, these are things that you need to be aware of that, that will bring new life, that will bring transformation to your physical body, right? Um, and not just cover it up. That's a good doctor. If you know, you think of the dentist illustration, whatever illustration you want to think of, but it's just facing the thing that we don't want to face sometimes is difficult. And what Jesus does in turning over the tables is he's like, these are things that aren't good. These are things that just aren't life-giving to the community or to yourself. And let's begin to change it. Let's transform it. Let's be the community that, that he wants us to be. The blessing and the curse. And I'm going to keep going back to it last week just because it's, it's, it's where life is found and it's the distinction of where Jesus invites us into is, do you want to continue to be part of blessing which brings in new life, transformation, flourishing, or do we want to be part of that curse that is the opposite end that wants to continue to bring destructive patterns and behaviors to our lives? Um, we always are going to have those two at play. We're always going to have that choice between the two throughout our day um, and in patterns of our lives, habits that we create, um, choices that we make, thought patterns that we have in our lives. Um, those are, they're continually going to be there, and we have a choice between that blessing versus the curse. Um, and again, if that still doesn't quite make sense, if you want more clarity, that video's in there. I would, seriously, I'm going to keep talking about it, but watch it. Um, the Bible Project really takes all of Scripture and condenses it down really beautifully with that blessing and curse. Um, in 1 John 3.14, he talks about this same thing again. It says, we know that we have passed from death to life. So if you want to talk about blessing and curse, it could be used in that term of like death and life. Um, because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. So again, it's that choice between a life-giving way of living or a death way of living, right? Um, and do we abide, do you abide in what it means to love 
that he narrows it down in just this one sentence, because we love each other. That love is that distincting fa- distinctive, like nuanced factor that begins to decide whether or not we are people of God, of good, of blessing, of flourishing, or if we're part of destructive patterns that don't help anyone, including ourselves. This is what Jesus taught his disciples over and over, and I love what Mark does here. As much as we don't want to hear this, um, the church, we as the church, as grace and peace, um, even the church globally, I think needs this reminder continually that we are meant to be a blessing. We are meant to be a blessing to the world, right? That as people engage us as individuals, because the church is made up of individuals, right? That we each, as we scatter into this week, have an opportunity to be a reflection of the church, reflection of God. And those opportunities are either going to point towards flourishing, blessing, goodness, life, or they're going to point towards death, selfishness, taking advantage of other people, um, destructive things. And that's the, that's the choice that we have. That's the, the decision that we've got to continually place our lives into. Um, is this going to be a house of prayer, or is it going to be a house of robbers that he talks about? And he gives a solution as he just begins to sit with his disciples and talk about, like, so what's the fig tree mean? What's this all about? How do you begin to live this out? And he says, have faith in God. That's the first thing he says. Have this faith in God that trusts that he is central to life, central to flourishing, central to blessing, everything. And then he ends it with, in verse 25, he says, forgive, which is an interesting thing. Like this idea of forgiveness comes up over and over, but loving and being generous and being life-giving is, connecting, is connected to forgiveness. And I know that seems weird and kind of maybe like, well, why is forgiveness the one thing? Um, because when we have a forgiving heart, think about the heart posture you have when you forgive somebody. Is there pride? Probably not. When you forgive somebody, is there... Um, is there an agenda to push yourself above the other person? No, it's, it's, there's a, a posture of surrender, a posture of whatever you've wronged, whatever wrong's taken place, I'm not counting that towards you anymore because I'm going to love you. I'm going to do the generous thing. Um, there's a posture of generosity that happens there. And so as he points to the solution, there has to be a, a, a shift in who we are that becomes centered around forgiveness, surrendered around faith in what God wants us to do rather than our own agenda. And so the example that I want to give you guys is this guy, Tenzing Norgay. And um, maybe as I start talking about it, uh, you'll see. But when you think of the first person to climb Mount Everest, does anybody know the name? It's up there, but Edmund Hillary. Sir Edmund Hillary is the first guy to summit Everest. Um, I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to like that kind of stuff. I just love learning about that. Um, and that happened in 1953. You think about 1953 and the kind of technology that existed. That's like right after World War II. That's crazy, right? And these guys, so Sir Edmund Hillary, um, hold on one second before we get to this video. Um, his name comes up as the one who summited. 
but there's actually his Sherpa, who was along his side, Tenzing Norgay. And Tenzing Norgay was actually the Sherpa that helped him succeed in doing what he did and actually um, kind of made it the whole thing possible. And, and generally, his name doesn't show up as the first thing, right? Um, maybe just because he didn't have the finances to back it, so like, that seems crazy, right? Um, it's another little layer to it. But, um, but Tenzing Norgay is a Sherpa, and the definition of Sherpa, I'll, we can throw it up there, um, is basically a member of the Tibetan people living uh, on the high southern slopes of the Himalayas in eastern Nepal and known for providing support for foreign trekkers and mountain climbers. So there's still Sherpas today um, that help, a lot of cases, really rich people get to the top of mountains. <laughs> They'll carry their packs. They do all kinds of stuff. Um, and generally, Sherpas, like, there'd be like 400 of them just to get a group of guys up to the top. So you, when you talk about people summiting, it's like really there was a whole group of people, and people serving, right? Uh, known for providing support to helping others succeed. And I love this analogy because it's kind of the, the invitation we have as Christ followers to help others succeed and get to the summit, to help others do really well. And actually, Tenzing was one of the guys that made it the top. And when you really get into the, um, the details of it, there's actually no photo of... Hillary at the peak. There's a picture of Tenzing at the peak because Hillary took a picture of Tenzing. And when Tenzing said, turn the camera and said, let me take a picture of you, Hillary said, no, I don't want a picture. So in that moment, you see a shift where most people who summit, they want the picture of themselves. And it's interesting because they both ended up being servants. They both ended up being kind of that servant leadership kind of a posture and approach, right? Which is super cool to me. And you think about, like, the guy who could have taken all the credit, who generally gets the credit, but doesn't have a photo at the peak. How rad is that? That's really cool. And so there's just a picture of Tenzing holding his ice pick at the top. It's pretty rad. Um, but watch this video, and I want you guys to see a little, another little layer that I think Nat Geo does a good job of, or History Channel or something. But um, check this out. Edmund Hillary is 33 years old. He's a beekeeper from New Zealand. Tenzing was 39, former servant from Tibet. Hillary and Tenzing spent years training and climbing with earlier failed expeditions. On May 29, 53, they finally made the historical climb to the top of the world and accomplished what cons some considered impossible. They proved that your background does not always dictate how far or how high you can go. That picture isn't them at the peak which is interesting, it's kind of cool. Um, but I love that picture of servant leadership, of the kind of people that Jesus invites us into. And when Jesus went in and turned over the tables to these guys that were leaders in the temple, there were priests, the guys who, the people that you think have it all figured out had no clue. They were not serving. They were taking advantage of people. And man, it's like, the thing that Jesus wants his disciples to see and as they're walking around, he's like, fig tree, we're done with that. This thing's not going to bear any more fruit. And they see that it's shriveled. They go in the temple. They do the whole thing. 
And as he talks with his disciples and shows them this whole thing, they begin to see, okay, the leadership got it all wrong. The leadership in the church and the temple right now, they got it all wrong. Here is really what we are called to. We are called to bear fruit. And a hard piece of information that's woven into this is that Jesus curses it and says, if you're not bearing fruit, you're cut down. He uses that analogy you read in Matthew. He talks about a vine that doesn't bear fruit. It's thrown into the fire. Um, we are meant to bear fruit. This isn't meant to be like a, let me point the finger at our, our problems and all the things that we do wrong and the areas that we're missing the mark. This is meant to point to the blessing. This is meant to point to the fruit. So let's not live in fear of being cut off and thrown out like Jesus did, but understand that that is a very real reality, that he's not about that. He's not about us taking advantage of other people. He's not about us being a curse, right? Evil, death. He's about us being life, being generous, being part of this transformation that exists where we begin to be servants that help other people to the summit, that help other people succeed, that help other people do well. Um, and so I just kind of coined it the Tenzing way. I don't know if it's a reality, but um, the Tenzing way of life, like servants, people who go and help um, and be that kind of community, that, that way of life that Jesus invites us into. Um, every single one of the disciples, except for one, we all know about that, did this. They went all the way to the point of death, right? Um, what time is it? A friend of mine just got back from Rome and went to the place where Peter's bones are, where he was strung up upside down on a cross in Emperor Nero's courtyard for being a believer, for preaching the word. Um, he said it made scripture come really real when he was like, I'm standing right next to the bones of Peter who, and in the courtyard where they strung Christians up for like, to light their parties, right? That he stood there in Rome, like at the Vatican, like where literally Peter's, his bones, his like remains are there, you know? Like somebody who surrendered their whole life to be a servant, to bring in the gospel, to bringing this good news, this transformation, this life-giving thing to people, and then died for it. It's, it's crazy. But I think sometimes we get so removed from it, we read this like it's like some kind of storybook, but it's like it's real stuff. You can travel to Rome and, and all these places where Paul was and all these different places where the disciples were, where they actually laid down their life so that others would experience life because they, they saw the difference between good and evil. They saw the difference between destructive life patterns and really good life-giving ways of living. They're centered around God. And so I want to close with kind of two things, two thoughts um, that are we a community made up of individuals who know the mission, who abide by love? Like, are we the kind of church that obviously is made up of individuals, like we all play a role in this, um, who abide in what it means to be a loving community, loving towards others, loving every single day, every moment, every opportunity? Um, we're not all perfect. It's a process. We're learning, right? But we're learning to bear fruit, and we want to bear fruit because we know it's delicious. We know it's good. Um, how can you abide in love to the point where you begin to invest in others, where you begin to use maybe your business, maybe your um, skills, your talents, 
your education. Um, it's not all just from a, the front of the church with a mic in your hand. Like every single one of us have an opportunity from artists to um, the hobbies that we have to the neighborhoods that we're placed into. We have opportunities to love, right? To love people. Um, and so are we that kind of community? Are we made up of a community of people who love? And then the second part of that is like the deeper challenge is to bear fruit. Um, what practices do you have in your life that help you bear fruit? Um, because being a healthy tree doesn't happen overnight. Being a tree that bears fruit, we all know, like the passage says, a tree that bears fruit in season. Um, so there are seasons where we bear lots of fruit and we are very generous, loving, kind, and people are impacted by that. And there's other seasons where we need to put our roots down. And so I would just challenge you, like, throughout the week, what are the ways that you are being nourished? Um, in Psalm 1 that I showed you, the tree is planted near what? Stream, a source of life. The tree is planted there so that it has nutrients, so that it begins to grow and then bears fruit. And its leaves stay green. And I think flourishing only happens when our, we are planted in these practices of scripture, of meditation, of prayer, um, of being accountable to someone else in your life. Um, these are all practices that shape us and, and ground us. So then when people look at your life, they go, how are you so patient? How are you so loving? I, it doesn't make sense to me. Like I'm working on that continually. And, um, and that's the kind of community we want to be. And so that's just the challenge I want to throw at us. I know that's, that's some heavy homework to do. <laughs> Um, but that, again, just the reminder is that it's meant to bear fruit. That as we go out, we are meant to be a blessing. We are meant to be a place of flourishing. Um, and so that's my prayer. And so I'm just going to pray over all of us because I need that prayer as much as you. Um, that as we go into this week that we bear fruit and that we find ways to put down roots and what it means to really have some practices that form us, that shape us into beautiful, beautiful people that Jesus calls us to. So Lord, um, give us discernment. Uh, help us to see the areas of life that are destructive, that maybe aren't the healthiest patterns. Um, help us to see the areas where we need to maybe slow down. Maybe we need to spend some, some time at your feet. Um, Help us to just to really discern the areas of life that help us bear fruit. Um, help us to see the areas of life where maybe we use our voice um, for the wrong things. Help us to see where we can use our voice for good. Um, we want to continue to learn from you, Jesus. And so give us your Holy Spirit as we leave this place. Um, we're eager and excited to step into those places, those ministries that you've called us to, uh, to be loving. And we're eager to see how that's going to transform not only us, but our community, Lord. So work through us. Work through us powerfully and uh, transform us from the inside out. We pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, that he's guiding and he's protecting us. Let's share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of each day. Grace and peace to you. Um, dig in and get some coffee back there, some cold brew. <laughs>